So we are concluding our God Is series. And if you're just arriving with us today at any of our campuses, or maybe you're watching online, uh, you're jumping in on the back end of what has been uh, a good series going through this book of Psalm 23, this chapter of Psalm 23. Uh, spoiler, here in a couple weeks, I'm going to launch a brand new series called Questioning Christmas. Uh, this is your time. If you have questions or you know people who have questions about faith, we're going to talk about faith and science. It's going to be apologetics is what it's known as in uh, the Christian terms. And so we're going to just do the deep dive into the mind. That, and I hope you're going to find out that actually there is reason for faith. And so... Uh, Make sure you start inviting people now. For in a couple weeks, we're going to launch into questioning Christmas. But for now, we got to finish up our God is series. And if you're just joining us, we've come through to the end. There's been six verses and six kind of revelations about who God is. And we've, we've gone week by week. Week one, we said this, that God is good. That if you have to know anything about God, how do I approach God? How do I think about God? How do I understand God? God wants you to come to him first and foremost, understanding this and this thing above all other things, that God is good. That he is good. He's only ever good. And he's so good. We talked about how he lay, sent his son to die on our behalf. And uh, David used this language, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, he's my shepherd. He's, he's my good shepherd. And then we talked about God is God. How God isn't only good, but God is God almighty. That he is the only God. There's no one beside him. And that we exist for his glory and from his glory. That we are held together by him. We've been sustained by him. We were created by him. We'll be held together forever by him. It's all about him. And we are alive when we come to realize that. Can I get an amen? So God is good. God is God. Then we found out this. It gets even better. Like it just keeps getting better. God is with us. We talked about how even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I go through the darkest valley, even death itself. And we found out this, that we serve the God who goes with us even through death. And not only that, but he's so with us, he's for us. He said, uh, his rod and his staff, they guide me. That, that God actually brings us through himself. He keeps us from going too far to the right or too far to the left. And he'll bring us through. How many of you believe that God will complete what he started? That's what the Bible says, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it all to completion. We believe that God is for us. And then last week, we kind of came to this kind of climactic point of Psalm 23, and we talked about how God is my victory in every single way. And we talked about the table he's prepared for us, that all of the blessing, all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the mercy, all of the grace, all of the forgiveness, all of the stuff my soul could ever long for has already been poured out before me in King Jesus and given to me. That's amazing news, isn't it? So you should be happy by now. It should have encouraged your heart. You should be at this point like, wow, that's amazing. That's what David has tried to accomplish. Like, this is so good. God is so, so good. And so we come to verse 6, and this is just the conclusion. He says in verse 6, based on the fact that God is only ever good all the time. Like James 1 says, he casts no shifting shadow. God can't wake up cranky. Isn't that an amazing, isn't that an amazing thing? Like God did not wake up on the wrong side of the bed to you. He's only ever good. He doesn't change, doesn't cast shadows. All he's got is goodness. Because he's good, because he's God and his glory stands uh, above and beyond all things, because God is with me in the valley, because God I know he'll bring me through, and because he has not withheld anything from me but only ever poured out grace upon me, here's my conclusion. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. That's my conclusion. Based on who I have found God to be, here's my life's conclusion. Wherever I go, whenever I get there, however I get there, however I go there, whomever I'm with, whatever happens to me, however high, however low, in season and out of season, I know this. God's goodness and God's mercy is going with me. Nothing can stop the goodness and mercy of God from flowing to me. Nothing ever. God is never, ever failing. It never stops. And that's my assumption, David says. My assumption now, as I live in my life, he says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life in this life. And in the next life, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Isn't that an amazing declaration? Based on who God is in my life, all I should ever expect is to experience the constant and abundant and consistent flow of God's goodness and mercy. He never stops. The tap of God's grace, the well of God's grace, the river of God's grace and goodness never stops flowing to me. Isn't that amazing news? Does that make you happy? Does that lift your spirit? Like, that should. We're having church right now, but now here's the question I would ask. How many of you come to church and you'll read a scripture like this And you'll hear that preaching. There's a part of you that resonates. You're like, yeah, I know that's true. Like, I believe in God. I don't disagree with what he's saying. I even see other people experiencing some of those promises. But when I look at my life, and I look at the promises of God, and I look what the scripture's saying, I look what David's saying, there is a gap between the promise of God and what God is saying here. Like, this whole, like, Surely goodness and mercy, that that I should expect goodness and mercy all the time. I don't experience goodness and mercy all the time. Have ever, have you, let's just be honest in church. It's it's okay to be honest in church. You don't have to pretend like you got it all figured out. It's actually not a good thing to do anyway. Have you ever felt like there's a gap between what we're talking about and what you're experiencing? Have you ever felt like there's a distance between it? Like, and it's not that you don't believe it. It's not an issue of belief. You believe it. You believe in Jesus. You believe and you've had some experiences and you believe in the testimony of your friend or your loved one that said, I've found grace and I feel it in my heart and I feel forgiveness. And then you hear these these verses like this that says, goodness and mercy all the days of my life. That's my experience. We sing songs like joy, unspeakable joy and a living water rising within me, overflowing within me, overflowing joy, overflowing peace. And you hear that and you're like, that's not up in my experience, and I don't doubt, I, I believe, I believe in Jesus, I go to church, I sing the songs, I hear the sermons, what gives? Has anybody ever felt that? I know you have, because I've talked to a bunch of you, and I've experienced it in my own life, that distance, that gap between what God says in his word and what I've experienced in my life. And what God says in his word here is pretty amazing. And what we've come to discover about God is pretty amazing. That we serve a God that cannot shut off his goodness. He can't shut off blessings. He can't shut off provision. He can't shut off mercy. He is incapable of doing that. Incapable of doing that. That's all he can do. So it's not that I don't believe in that God, but something's missing. There's something disconnecting my experience from what the word says. You ever felt that before? Can we get some honesty in church? East St. John, West St. John, Halifax. Yeah, we, I think we've all felt that. I talked to a guy uh, not two weeks ago, come up to me and said, listen, I, I've been coming to church for a long time. I believe, I believe, I, I read the Bible. 
Uh, I've I listened to the sermons. I go to church. I've done. I've been a Christian, but I, I'm missing that experience that you're talking about. There's something missing. I'm not experiencing exactly like you talked about peace, and I don't have peace. You talk about fulfillment. I don't have fulfillment. I believe in Jesus, but I don't have those things that that are supposed to come with Jesus. What gives? Have you ever felt there was a gap between what you experienced and what the Word says? Well, here's what, we, here's what we have to do, though. When we look at the word, and we look at what it says in Psalm 23, verse 6, and says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David is bringing that conclusion based on who he's found out God to be. And we can say, as we look through the scripture, and you see the story of Jesus, the revelation of God, and what God is like, we can surmise that if there's something disconnected, if there's something that's preventing me from experiencing all that God has for me, it's probably not on God's end. Can we agree on that? Like we've just discovered that God doesn't withhold anything from us. In fact, our cup overflows. He never stops blessing. He never stops grace and mercy. He can't withhold. And so if something is not being experienced, it's probably because it's on our end. Perhaps we aren't doing something right. And this isn't about morality. This isn't about being bad or good. But there is a posture of your soul before God. There are things that you can do that actually release the flow of God's goodness and mercy in your life. And there are things that you do that can prevent it. I, uh, my wife and I bought, I think she's still my wife, I don't know. I think, um, but we bought a house, I think about seven years ago. And uh, it's, an old, it's an old house, and as a lot of the older houses here in Quispam Sis anyway, they have wells. And it's an old well, it's a low well, it's a shallow one. And so I've, I'm not a handyman, anybody, any other guys in the place, like it's, I'm a little self-conscious about it, don't judge me. I'm not a, I'm not a handyman, I've got to hire help most of the time. But when it comes to the well, you know what, I've... I've Fixed the pump a few times. I've learned a few things about the well pump. You know, the power goes on. I've learned how to prime it. I found out that rocks can go up in it and block it. I have found that with a pump, a pump is only capable of releasing the flow of the well water if, if there's no, nothing prohibiting that flow. And so I've had to learn over the last few years of how to prime the pump or how to get the flow going. I've come to view my soul similar to a pump. That God is this wellspring of goodness and joy and life and peace and all the stuff we talk about. And my soul is like a pump. And that there's a principle in the Bible, I'm going to teach it to you, that tells us that as we push out, you know how a pump works? A pump pushes water it, and then it creates a vacuum behind it and it pulls water in behind it into the space where it once was, correct? I'm no physicist, but I know how that works. It pushes the water out, and in behind it, it pulls water back in. And so as it pushes out, it pulls more in. And as it pushes out, it pulls more in. And that's how a pump works. And pumps, that's how they're designed to work, and that's how your soul is designed to work. But there are things that you can do that actually prevent you from experiencing the flow of God's blessing. I want you to look at a scripture with me. Maybe this will help make it make sense. Jesus was teaching one time, and it says in Luke chapter 6, I'll have it up on the screen. I want you to see this. And this, this has been taken out of context so many times. You've probably heard this before. You've probably heard someone say, don't judge me lest ye be judged. You've probably heard that. It's not really what it's talking about. Watch this. It's showing a kingdom principle about the flow of God's goodness and mercy. Look at this. It says, verse 37, do not judge, 
and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Now watch this. It flips it. Here's the positive. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Release forgiveness and receive forgiveness. Give and it will be given to you. Are you seeing this? Release generosity. Receive generosity. Give, it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. That's how God gives. God gives more than you gave. Anyway, we'll get to that. But it says this. Here it is. For the measure you use, so for what you release, will be the measure you receive. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Are you catching that? There is a principle The well is not withholding anything. God is not withholding anything from you. The question is, what is your capacity to receive? What's your capacity to receive what God already wants to give you? If I'm missing anything in my life, it's not because God's saying, nope. It's because I have not positioned myself. There might be something blocking the flow of God's goodness and mercy and grace in my life. God has released it, has never turned it off, but whether or not I can pump it through my soul, that remains to be seen. You see, there is a rhythm and a flow to the way the kingdom works. It, it, you release to receive. You give to get. You release, you receive. And that's how the kingdom works. That's how your soul works so some of you aren't experiencing. Now, I, I, give the same, I give the same advice every time when someone comes to me and says, why am I not experiencing all of this stuff? And I'll say, one, sometimes God leads you through a season, a desert place. Sometimes God does that for his purposes, to help train you, help, help build you, to strengthen you. The Bible says don't despise the Lord's discipline. Jesus himself was led into a wilderness. God has his reasons why he does that. So sometimes you're not experiencing because God's got you in a waiting pattern. He's got it for a good reason. Now you wait. But for a lot of us, the reason we're not experiencing all the goodness and mercy, all the good stuff, all the days of my life, is because we are blocking the flow of God's blessings. Because we have not positioned ourselves in the flow of how the kingdom flows. We aren't giving to receive. Here's here's a question. I'm going to break this down for us. How can I experience the constant flow of God's joy and peace and goodness and mercy in my life? How can I prime the pump of my soul? How can I, you know, unclog the well? How can I do that in my life? I think we've all asked a version of that question, maybe not in that language, but I have three hacks that I think are going to help you kind of get in the flow. I like that term. I think I should have some music. I feel like Ray Williams should be on the drums back here, just giving me a beat while I do this. Maybe not. But how do I get in the flow of, of God's blessing? I have three points. These should all be sermons. I'm going to try to keep them short, though. Number one is this. If you're taking notes, write these down. To receive the flow of God's joy. Talk about the stuff. Like, what's joy? Like, peace, happiness, self-control. All those spiritual character qualities that God promises us. To receive the flow of God's joy, that satisfaction of my soul. I lack nothing. And you know, David says, I lack nothing. To receive the flow of God's joy, release your gratitude. Better said, I'm joyful when I'm thankful. 
Can you say that out loud with me? I'm joyful when I'm thankful. When I release thanksgiving, when I release praise to God, I create capacity to receive that satisfaction that I want in the first place. Watch this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, are, you, are you okay to go into the Bible today? Yeah, because we're going to. I hope you're not. I'm going to do it either way, but it's better when you're positive about it. Romans 1, look at this. Here's a principle. I want to teach some stuff because this is actually really practical. We've talked about who God is, and now here's the week where the rubber meets the road, and we get to do something with it, all right? Romans 1, look at this. Here's, this will help you understand what I'm trying to help you see. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. What's he saying? Paul is saying that it's obvious to see when you open your eyes and you look around that there is a God. This isn't some cosmic mistake. For since creation, the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Open your eyes, Paul's saying. Now watch this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is he talking about? Thanksgiving, giving thanks to God is about aligning myself with the reality of who God is. When we fail to glorify God and to give him thanks, we are essentially removing ourselves out of alignment with the flow of all that God has for us. That when I do give thanks and I do give glory to God, I am actually aligning my soul in such a way to actually be able to receive what God wants to give me in the first place. Let me, let me help a little more. Now, don't think of this. Don't think of this like you would if you're a parent. Got parents here? I'm a parent, and when my kids are entitled, and I give them something, and they're entitled about it, I'm a bit childish too, and so my response will be, Fine. I'm not buying you another one of those, right? Parents, let's be honest. Like, you don't want some spoiled, stupid, entitled kid, right? So, no. So, like, we, we kind of return that with a little bit of that back. That's not what's happening with God. God is not like us. Even the best parent, God is not like you. God is, God's thoughts are higher than us. So when God says, give me thanks and give me glory, he's not saying it for his benefit, You have to understand that. God commands us to give him thanks and glory in all things for whose benefit? For ours. Why? Because that actually postures you to receive what God wants to give you in your soul and your spirit. When you glorify God, when you say, God, you are God, and I know you are good, and I give you thanks for this and this and this, you are bringing your soul into alignment with the flow of the reality of who God is. That's what Thanksgiving is. I wish I could preach a whole message on Thanksgiving. I can't because we've got to keep going. But I want to show you a couple more scriptures. Can I? Good. All right. Look what it does. Watch this. 1 Thessalonians 5. This is Paul again saying, Now, remember who Paul is? Paul's been through some stuff. And he says this, rejoice always. Pray continually. And now here it is. This is a tough pill to swallow. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, when you think about that, you think of that as some test. 
some test of your spirituality. I'm really upset about losing my job, but I'm going to give you thanks because I'm a good Christian. That's not what that's saying. This is not a test. This is a posture. It's a posture that says, when I lose my job, I'm giving God thanks because I know he's working out something in my favor. It's giving God glory to say, you're above this and below it and beyond it. I just can't see it, but I trust you. It's positioning your heart to receive the peace that you want or the joy that you want. That's what's happening. That's what Thanksgiving does. It brings you into alignment when you are thankful. And I'm not just saying like, so are you thankful? Yeah, I'm thankful. I mean when you open your mouth and you say, God, I thank you. I give you glory and I praise you. Lord, it wasn't my choice to lose my job, but I give you thanks anyway because I know that greater is he who is in me than any of these challenges in the world. I know that you're faithful to bring me through. As you worship and praise God, you are aligning your soul to receive what he wants to give you in the first place. Give thanks in all circumstances. Some of you look at me like you don't believe me. Let's look at another one. Philippians 4 says this, do not be anxious about, say it out loud. Come on. I can think of some stuff to be anxious about. Like, you watch TV lately? Like, there's just stuff to be anxious about. But in, say it out loud again. Every Every situation. I can think of some situations, y'all. Can't you? You're probably in some. By prayer and petition. Now watch this. Circle it in your Bible. You have it open. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here it is. Here's, Here's what happens. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see what just happened there? It's action, reaction. As I release my thanks to God, what happens? I receive peace. As I release my praise to him and I say, God, I, don't, I wouldn't have wished this upon myself, but I thank you anyway. I'm saying, I know you're greater than it. I know you'll bring me through it. I know that you're able to take this broken mess and bring it into something glorious. And so I trust you're going to do that. As you do that, that's when you receive peace. Maybe, maybe the reason you don't feel peace in those moments when you need it most is because you failed to open your mouth and say, God, I thank you anyway. I praise you anyway. I've been testing the Lord on this lately. And just even in small little things, like at work, I, a couple of weeks ago, I had something come up when I was stressed and anxious about it. I had to go into some meetings and deal with some stuff. And I, I started my day and I just, I closed my Bible and I say, Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for everything you've given. And I just started listing off all the thanks and all the things I'm thankful for. And I felt my soul come into alignment. And what happened? Peace and strength and courage and trust and groundedness started landing in my soul because I gave thanks. Here's something I've noticed in my life, and maybe you have too. That the most beautiful, grounded, kind people, the most satisfied people, are often the most thankful. Did you ever notice that? The people who are just most thankful, I... I don't, I, I'm kind of hoping that you're watching online, but uh, a few years ago, um, a lovely couple from our church named Jeff and Sandra, Jeff and Sandra Moon, they moved to uh, Ontario. They were just a beautiful couple, a beautiful part of our church family for a lot of years. Um, their testimony is an amazing thing for those of you who've joined us since they've left, but they're just these wonderful people when you meet them and you think, 
man, these are just, these people just have, seem to have everything going for them, and they just, like, just exude just the love of God. They've got it. You can tell. But if you knew their story, you'd think you'd just see the glory of all this, because Jeff and Sandra, in a tragic car accident, lost both their kids in one day. They had two children, beautiful kids. All four of them were driving and in a, in a horrible car accident, and both the parents lived, and both the kids died. Horrible. And if you ever met Jeff and Sandra, you'd never look at them and say, those people lost kids. You know how some of us, there's woundedness and we just carry it on ourselves? And I, and I get that we all deal with things differently, but I'm just speaking about what I observe in these two. There was something about them. They carried a peace, even in their longing and that pain. They carried a peace that transcended it, and it was obvious. And I remember one time I sat down with Jeff, and I just said, man, how, 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 how are you you? How are you like this? Because they weren't in denial. They didn't pretend like it didn't happen. And he said, you know what? In that season, that verse where Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. And then there's another one where Paul says, give thanks for all circumstances. I started putting God to the test on that. And he just did a work in my heart. I can't explain it because it defies logic. When you give thanks for a car accident that takes your kids it doesn't make sense, but something happened in my heart and continues to happen. And it's like it flushed the bitterness out of my soul. And you see it in them. You see, that's what happens when you're thankful, when you exercise gratitude. He said, Brent, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget him say this. He said, I chose in my life to have an attitude of gratitude that is not dependent on my circumstances. When you release thanksgiving, you receive you receive joy. Number two, number two, if you're following. So to receive God's joy, release thanksgiving. Number two, to receive the flow of God's mercy, release your forgiveness. So remember again, I give it, I get it. I release it, I receive it. To receive the flow of God's mercy, release your forgiveness. Better said, I'm forgiven when I forgive. It's amazing to me how many people I, I, I talk to at our church that still carry the wounds and carry the, their mistakes of their past and they hang on them. And I've had conversations with many of you that you're, you're just not able to get past and walk in freedom that the Bible says you have. Like the Bible says things like, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come, except you don't feel new, you still feel old. You still feel like the old you. You still feel like your mistakes. You, feel, you still feel like what you did. You still feel like what was done to you. And you don't know how to walk in that reality. The Bible says to feel forgiven, to receive mercy, you have to give mercy. The reason many of us don't receive mercy and we don't feel like we're forgiven and we don't walk in freedom is because we are hanging on to unforgiveness. Because we are choosing not to release it. There is probably the most terrifying scripture in the whole Bible. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, this is the words of Jesus, the Son of God. He says this, at the end of the Lord's Prayer. You ever pray the Lord's Prayer? You pray it every time and sometimes you don't even know it. I get my kids every day as I drop them off at school or daycare. We pray the Lord's Prayer together. We all recite it. Even my little guy Alex fumbles his way through it. So it's cute. But when we get to this part, there's a part where Jesus says, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Wait a minute, I don't like that deal. 
right? There's been times I've prayed that driving my kids to school and I've been like, oh man, my forgiveness is the standard of what I receive is what Jesus is saying. Look at this, Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. For those of you who have people in your world that you are holding on to pain and you're holding on to injustice and you're holding on to something they owe you, Jesus says, that's the measure you're receiving right now. The measure you give is the measure you receive. That should terrify you if you are a person who does not like to give mercy and grace. Jesus said one time, he said, um, if you're ever in a worship gathering and you're just, you're getting after God and it's awesome and everyone's having a great time and Jesus and we're having this great church service and you're bringing sacrifices. He says, you know what? You can sacrifice and you can worship till you're blue in the face. But if you have something wrong with your brother, you leave the church service and you go fix that. You go ask forgiveness and you offer peace. Then you come back. Isn't that wild? Forgiveness brings us into alignment. Again, if you want to receive that feeling of mercy, if you want to walk in freedom, I suspect you might be holding back forgiveness. Unforgiveness clogs the pipe of your soul. If I can use that gross plumbing language for a second. Unforgiveness is like a big, giant, gross clog in the drain of your soul. And it backs up the flow of God's mercy. God does not withhold it. You aren't receiving it. You know what? I've been, I've been a pastor for about 12 years now. And people, the people who scare me the most, like when I think about, like I think about heaven and hell and eternity, the people who I fear for the most aren't the people that some of you might think. Like, like our church is full of awesome, interesting, and messed up people. We're all pretty messed up when we're honest. And like, I'll go to celebrate recovery where my people are and I'll show up there Tuesday nights and I, I love to pop in and just see what God is doing. That's because those are the people that are honest about grace. And so if you, ever, if you need to be honest about your, your issues, you need to come to celebrate recovery too on Tuesday nights here at the Valley Campus. Um, praying to be launching them in at East and West in the future. So be praying for that. But one of the things I've noticed is that I, I don't worry. I don't worry about the person who's struggling with addiction, if they're struggling trying to get to God. I don't worry about the person who's struggling with, you know, uh, marital issues or this or that or this sin issue or that issue. You know, you know the people I worry about the most? The people who hold on to hate and bitterness. The people who refuse to let go or refuse to offer forgiveness to others. I've, I've encountered them, and usually they're not the people that's, that are at Celebrate Recovery. They're the people that look all prim and proper in church but they've got someone that did something to them and they just won't let it go. I remember this one couple, uh, they left our church a number of years back because another couple came to the church and there was this issue between them all and one couple hated the other couple and one couple wanted to make peace and the other couple didn't want to and I sat down with a couple that didn't want to and I said, you're leaving the church because you refuse to make peace with this other couple who have extended themselves to you to try to reconcile and make peace. Your blood's on your head. And that is dead serious. When you refuse to offer forgiveness to someone, you are refusing to receive forgiveness for yourself. So you need to hear this divine incentive. You don't, for, don't forgive because they need it. Forgive because you need it. 
right? That's, isn't that where we get hung up? They don't deserve my grace. Maybe not. You deserve grace. So give it to them. The measure you give it is the measure you will receive. This is why, and you just keep giving. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. Did you know that? Man, I need to preach a whole sermon on this. I'm running out of time. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. Did you know that? That's why Jesus, one day, Peter comes up to Jesus, says, Jesus, how many times if my brother does something against me, do I forgive them? Seven times? And Jesus says, no. How about 70? And what Jesus was trying to say was this. There's no number. You have to live in that place of extending mercy. Why? Because you want to live in that place where you're receiving mercy. And so the the moment you say, that's enough forgiveness for you, you're saying, that's enough mercy for me. Isn't that terrifying? But as you continue, so 77 times, Jesus said. How about 70 times seven? He just said, just keep forgiving. You know what happens? There's this funny thing that happens. I feel like that 70 times seven where Jesus says that in Matthew, it's actually like an algorithm. Anybody know algorithm? Any nerds like algorithms? A good algorithm? Yeah. It's like an algorithm. It's like, uh, did so-and-so offend you? Yes or no? Yes. If yes, go here. Offer them forgiveness. Do you forgive them? Yes. Congratulations, do you feel like you've forgiven them? No, repeat the process, forgive them. Yes, do you feel like they're forgiven? You saw them again, your blood started to boil. No, repeat the process. And then someday, 70 times or 70 times, seven times, I've seen it in my life. There's been people for years that, that I just wasn't able, I thought I forgave them, then I saw them, wanted to punch them in the face. Yeah, don't judge me. And I saw them, and I obviously still had some stuff in there. It needed to get washed out or flushed out. Like there's still some clog in the pipe. But as I kept releasing forgiveness, there are people who I once used to want to hurt that I now can just wish well. Because why? Because you, no, repeat the process. No, repeat the process. Yes, I, I actually forgave them. And in the moment, sometimes, I don't have time for this, but I'm going there anyway. Sometimes you think you've forgiven them and it's like old news and then it just comes out of nowhere. What do you do then? Repeat the process. That's what you do over and over and over. I sat on a, I sat on a committee this week and we had the power to basically uh, bring someone into a circumstance, back into a circumstance, someone who messed up and did something and basically deciding on what their kind of future with us would be. And uh, I, I was just so moved as we kind of opened up this topic and decided what we're going to do. Are we going to offer forgiveness or not? And I was in this, so I was going to start preaching at the table. And I just said, listen, my Bible said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't want to sit on a committee. I don't want to be part of a church. And I don't want to be a person who withholds mercy. Why? Because I need it. Don't you need it? You want to receive it, you got to give it. Number three, I'm, I'm losing time here. David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It will never stop flowing. When, when David says goodness, it actually means like present blessings, like presents. Like surprises of God's goodness everywhere you go all the time. David's actually saying it. He's not talking about someday I'll experience God's goodness. He's saying like every step that I take, everywhere I go, I expect God's blessing to just show up and be like, ooh, another blessing, right? Like that's what he's saying. He's saying everywhere I go all the time, I'm just expecting God's goodness and abundance poured out to me. That God is going to exceedingly abundantly not just provide but bless me. 
That's what David's saying. Jesus said it. Jesus said, look at the sparrow. Does does God not take care of their needs? How much more will God not bless you? Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Paul said, I pray that you prosper in every way, even as your soul prospers. Do you know that God wants to prosper you? Some of you look at me, that's the prosperity gospel. No, any word you put in front of the gospel, social gospel, prosperity gospel, is not the gospel. But the gospel implies a whole lot of things after it. And the gospel, as I see it, is prosperity. This does not mean you're going to have a Learjet and snakeskin boots. But it does mean you're going to be able to come into the place where you say, not only do I lack nothing, but my freaking cup overflows. Everything I need, not just everything I need. You know what? I have gone through seasons in my life. My wife and I, we can tell you, we've been in ministry for 11 years. And our first few years, she was tight, right? Like, I have never missed a bill. I have never not been able to pay my debt. I have never, not once, been so financially squeezed where we weren't able to get out of it. God has provided. He's provided days, just miracles. There's been days where where money has showed up, just the amount that I needed to break through. Like, It's been amazing. And I've also seen not just provision, but the abundance God's given me. Like there's been times where I've just been like, are you serious, God? You clearly like me better than the rest of them. Like, obviously. Like, I can't believe you just keep doing stuff like this to me. That's where God wants to bring you. Did you know that? He wants to bring you into a day-to-day experience where you're like, I see what you did there. Like, like, you're like, God, you're so good to me. Has anybody ever experienced a season like that even where you're just like, this is incredible. Like, I, God just keeps giving to me. God wants you to live in a space where you are receiving blessings. It doesn't mean it's money. God's way richer than money. God wants to give you like real blessings all the time, all through your life. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Here's my final thought, and we're going we're gonna to close up. We're going to take an offering in a second, but if you want to receive the flow of God's goodness, number three, if you're taking notes, if you want to receive the flow of God's goodness, release your generosity. I'm blessed when I bless. I'm blessed when I'm blessed, when I bless. This is a kingdom principle. You cannot escape it from the beginning to the end of this book. As you give, so shall it be given to you. God blesses us when we step out and we are generous. The reason we aren't, a lot of us aren't seeing God's goodness everywhere we go. The reason a lot of us fail to receive God's blessings, you're not seeing it all the time. You're not like, I just, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Like the reason a lot of us don't live like that is because we are failing to release it. Because we don't live a lifestyle of generosity. Those who live a lifestyle of free generosity are those who constantly are receiving God's blessings. And I've seen it in my own life. Every time my wife and I have been generous, every time, sometimes we'll be at a restaurant and God will just say, pay for them. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that I'm bragging on God. Every time we're just generous, randomly generous or intentionally generous, God has been generous back to us every time. Sometimes it's money for money. Sometimes I give money in its favor. Sometimes I give kindness. Sometimes I give service. Every time I give, I receive. Every time. It's because my soul is a pump. My life is a pump. And all I'm doing as I give is I'm clearing room to receive more. 
That's what's happening. Give and it will be given to you. Look what God says. There's a biblical principle here. I'm going to be done in a second. Malachi 3.6 says this. I, the Lord, do not change. I'm never failing. I never stop. Never stop. He says, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I've sustained you. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how, have we, how are we to return? How do we leave you? How do we do that? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, in generosity. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Look at this. This is the only place in the whole Bible where you'll see God say these words. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests, so he's talking about favor, from devouring your crops and the vines and the fields and do not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty, and then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. You see what, you see what he said? He said, as you are obedient and generous, I will bless you so profoundly that the nations, the people around you will call you blessed. Like people will see your life as you are generous to God, as you are faithful with what he's given you to be generous, he says, I will bless you so profoundly that your neighbors are going to say, that's a man of God. That's a woman of God. God's, God's something special on their house. I want some of that, whatever's happening. Like, I'm going to bless people through you. You're going to be so blessed that, I, that people will call you blessed. Isn't that amazing? Let me go for some of that. Yeah? It's all yours. It's up, it's up for grabs. That promise is ours. If we will give, we will receive. One more scripture, and I'm going to wrap up. This one's too good to pass. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. This is Paul, New Testament. Remember this. Everyone say, remember this. Oh, gosh. Come on, Valley Campus. Thanks, East. Remember this. Yes, remember this. Don't forget this. Here it is. Here's the principle. Give and receive. Whoever sows sparingly will also receive. Reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not comparing. He's saying don't compare. It's not about what you give or what you give. It's what I give before God. That's it. That's what he's after. Watch this. Verse 8. And say this out loud. God is able. Say it again. God is able to bless you. Yeah, just let that ring for a second. He's able to bless you. This isn't just about like, just provide, like get by. He's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts, freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That's the Bible, y'all. Verse 11. Here it is, and we'll, we'll wrap up here. You, me, you'll be rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. What's that mean? Not when it feels convenient. On every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's all connected. Generosity 
is the key to receiving God's blessing. And generosity has nothing to do with how many zeros you can write on the check. Rich people aren't generous. Poor people aren't generous. Generous people are generous. Has nothing to do. It's, it's a relative term. God looks at the heart. God knows how much you have. He measures based on how much it costs you. That's what generosity is. I receive when I give. So Love Week. The reason we do Love Week here at King's Church, for those of you who are new, Love Week is a concerted effort every year where we just try to clear out the pump of our church. We remind ourselves that we want to stay in the flow of God's blessings. And let me tell you, for the last five or six years, this church has been in the flow of God's blessing. We have been in the flow. We have seen God's goodness and mercy. We've seen God's joy. We've experienced the Holy Spirit in deepening and growing measure. We've seen more people. We're four campuses now. There's more people than ever. There's like, there's, it's just incredible what God's doing. Why? Because we continue to remain in the flow and we continue to give and receive and we give and we receive. So you know why we do Love Week? It's not just because St. John needs it. It's not just because Halifax needs it. It's because King's Church needs it. King's Church needs it. Why do we show the loving mercy of God by going into the city and offering volunteer hours and serving and helping? Why do we show mercy? Why? Because I want mercy. King's Church needs mercy. Why do we show generosity? Why do we show financial generosity? Because we want financial generosity. Listen, some of you are looking at me like, you're talking about reward. Yes, I am. This book is about reward. Let's stop having this kind of like posh, religious sort of, oh, I just sacrificed because I'm so good. Jesus didn't. Jesus sacrificed. It says in Hebrews 12, why did Jesus endure the cross? For the joy set before him, for what awaited him. Blessing awaits us. I'm telling you this year, you know what? There are many, many reasons to give to the city of St. John. There are people that we are going to bless that really, really need it. But I, you know who needs it the most this year? I believe you. I do. I need to be generous because I want to stay in the flow of what God's doing in my life. I want our church to stay in the flow of what God's doing in our church. And so that's going to cause me to take very seriously how much I give, how far I stretch, how far I reach. Because the measure you give is the measure you receive. And he who sows sparingly will, receive, will reap sparingly. But he who sows generously will receive generously. You got it? You got the flow? You got the flow? How many times do I have to do this? There are going to be so many gifts this week. It's going to be out of control. Would you stand with me? I want to show you something really quick. Here's how we're going to respond. It's Love Week. Love Week, we're going to do a few things. We're going to give our time. We're going to give our time. Uh, I'm going to bring up a website. You should be able to see it there on the screen. We're going to give our time. We're going to give our talents, our resources, money. People are going to bake cookies. People are going to give energy. People are going to give whatever they can. We are going to clear out the pump of our souls to receive more. This week, so time and money, we're going to see how many hours we can serve our city, see how many hours we can serve the city of Halifax, we're going to see how much, many dollars we can give. Everybody on board? 
So here's what we're going to do. If you want to go to the website and find out different ways you can engage this week as far as time goes, can you see that website on the screen? You see it? So if you go to the website, you can find out different serving opportunities. This is about giving time. For some reason, I can't open that. Uh, Well, I promise you, if you click on that place that says serving opportunities, uh, it'll show you different serving opportunities. There's all kinds of things you can get involved in. Also, on your seats or as you came in today at all of our campuses, you should have got a little card. And on the card, it says, Love Week. Take a couple, take 10, take 20. When you're at Tim Hortons, pay for the person behind you and leave the card. Listen, we don't just want to be kind for the sake of being kind. We want to be kind for the sake of the gospel. So attach a card to it. We want people to say, it's because Jesus is Lord. It's because Jesus loves me is why they did that. Anybody can be kind. There are strings attached to ours. We want you to see Jesus. Amen? So take those cards, leave them around, do things. Just It, it, it can be subtle, it can be hidden, but show them the love of Jesus. So take those cards, be kind, pay it forward, serve, gather your small group, gather your community group, go out and rake someone's lawn. Let's just see. We got, we got about 4,000 people now that call King's Church home. We can do a whole lot of hours if we all lock arms, and we can give a whole lot of dollars. I don't want anybody sitting there saying, well, I can't. Um, You know what? He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Take your little bit, offer it to God, and clear out some space for him to bless you. There's all kinds of ways to give. I'm going to pray. And uh, at all of our campuses, there should be buckets. Uh, For those of you who have prepared an offering at this service, we have buckets. You can bring an envelope. This whole offering is going right out the door. At all four corners of the Valley Campus, I believe at the front aisles at East and West, uh, as well at Halifax, bring your offering to the bucket. We're going to have text to give uh, on the screen. You could do it right now. After I pray, I'm going to release you to give. Does that make sense? So the band's going to play. We're going to celebrate and worship. But the way that you're going to move is you're going to start to give. And so you can come and bring your offering forward. You can open your phone up and start texting to give. A lot of you got to do that. I've got a lot of college kids here. You didn't bring any money, so text it to us. Say, I'm a college kid. I don't care. Give it anyway. (laughs) I was in college once too. Um, You can text to give. We have debit uh, at all of our campuses today, I believe. So you can, uh, at the back of the valley, I don't know where they are at East and West, but you can find them. Someone with debit, wave the machine and say, debit's over here. Whatever you got to do. We got debit, credit, everything. If you can do it, if it's a form of payment, we've got it. So we want to make sure that everybody does it. So generously, let's pray. Father, we thank you today that every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. We know that you're the giver of good gifts. We know who God is. God is good all the time. God is always good. You never stop being good. You never run out on us. You're never failing, never ending. And so, Father, today, this week, Lord, this is a concerted effort to get in the flow of your goodness for us and for the city, Lord. For the, for the city, Lord, with everything that we give, God, I pray that it would produce a harvest tenfold. Every seed that's sown, every hour, Lord, I feel like it was like ten. I, I pray that it would feel like it was like ten for the person receiving. Every dollar, I pray that it would feel like a hundred for the person receiving, Lord, would your grace just drench everything we do, Lord? Would a flood of the goodness and the resource and the grace and the mercy of the kingdom of heaven, would it flow through us this week like never before? Would it pour out over Halifax? Would it pour out over West St. John? Would it pour out over East St. John? Would it pour out over the Kennebecasis Valley, Lord? Would your goodness just flood the earth that you've given us here in this region, God? We pray it in Jesus' name. Now, God, would you stir up faith that would bring us to be generous, Lord? 
would we give, Lord, believing that you are exceedingly abundantly able to provide all that we ask or even imagine in Christ Jesus. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's give Lord a cheer in advance for what he's going to do this week. I love you. We thank you, Lord. Give him thanks. Thank you, Lord. We thank you.